The following podcast is a mass media production. Hi, I'm Josh Galindo. And I'm Crystal Galindo. Welcome to the Going Galindo Rugrats and Renovations podcast. A lifestyle podcast where we will offer our experience and expertise in building real, lasting wealth through renovating and flipping homes. And the chaos that comes with balancing a family of six, leaving nothing unsaid. Follow our wild ride we call life and apply our lessons to your own journey. Good morning. Good morning. How are you today? I'm excellent. I am excellent too. Oh, good. Why are you excellent today? I just want to have a good day. I do too. <laughs> I'm having a good day. Do you have any reason why you're having a good day at the immediate moment? I mean, I woke up. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> the kids are good. I'm good. Good. Yeah. Small things. Yeah. Remember we were talking about taking, acknowledging the small accomplishments. Yes. So we're going to acknowledge those small accomplishments. Yes. We woke up, got I woke out of bed. Up, I took a shower this morning. Yeah. That was exciting. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's have a conversation about staging your house. Some of you may have tried using virtual staging on your listing, but that can get tricky. What happens is the buyer shows up and they are a little disappointed, kind of like a bait and switch type thing. Staging your listing builds an emotional connection for the buyer and allows them to picture their life there. I recommend working with the House of Vegas to stage your next property. Give it a try and see if you get a better result. Call my buddy Thomas at 310-503-3611. Again, give Thomas a buzz, 310-503-3611. So today's topic is your first flip, my first flip. Yes. And it shouldn't even be called my first flip. While I did put the money up by myself, not all my, all by myself, but while it was my money that helped contribute to the flip, I would even say that it was our first flip. Cause you were, I was there present. Yeah. <laughs> I, right? I, I went there all the time. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. That was a funny flip, wasn't it? Oh my goodness. That little girl. Yeah, that was very There was sad. this like six year old girl that would come over. She was a neighbor. We would show up and she'd be inside the house mm-hmm. with like full grown men working. Yeah. And we're like, what are you doing here? And she's like, oh, I just told my parents we're going to, I'm going to go play. We're like, oh, oh my, my gosh, oh my nobody's God. watching this kid. Imagine now being parents. Oh my gosh, no. I'd be like, sir, <laughs> you need to keep an eye on this young lady. <laughs> I'm bringing her back for the last time right now. It's enough. Yeah. Get your shit together. I don't want to see this six-year-old on my construction site again. At that time, we were like, do we just not look at her? No. I was like, um. So I'll give the quickest stories I can to how I got into it and a little bit of backstory on my real estate um, career. So mm-hmm. I got into real estate in 2005. Um I think this is a fun thing to say. So, uh, my car had broken down. I was the valet. I was working valet at the Mirage. Mm -hmm. Um, I was 19. I believe you had to be 21, but they made an exception for me because, um, I worked so hard at the Mirage pool as a pool attendant and they, uh, thought that I deserved valet and they promoted you and they promoted me. So I was pretty proud of that job and working that growing up in Las Vegas, knowing somebody that worked valet was a pretty yeah. cool sounding thing because yeah. they were all the guys that made all the money. 
So to me, I had made it. <laughs> I was working valet. I had just bought a brand new Audi. I had just bought a house. Um, I was like, at 19, I'm doing pretty good. Mm-hmm. So then my Audi breaks down. And uh, um, my mom had to take me to work. So on the way to work, she stops by one of her biggest clients' office and says, hey, uh, um, I think she saw the writing on the wall. She knew that if I was working valet, I was going to start at making 40000 a year. And when I was 63, I would be making 40000 a year adjusted for inflation. Mm-hmm. And she was like, that's not going to happen with my boy. Mm-hmm. So we go stop at her client's office. She looks at him. She goes, hey, uh, um, you'd hire Josh, right? And I'm like, what? <laughs> and uh, he looks back. He goes, yeah, of course. And I'm like, nah, I'm working ballet. <laughs> just bought a new house. Got a car. I got to figure it out, my man. Yeah. Thank you. He goes, well, the guy I trained last year made a million dollars. And I was like, holy shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> People make a million dollars a year. Yeah. I honestly didn't even realize that kind of money existed. And um, anyway, so that was the start of my real estate career. Of course, I immediately went to real estate school, got my license, Mm -hmm. quit over there, burnt all my bridges, jumped in bed with (laughs) this guy and said, this is my future. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to jump out of that. That was all commercial and land acquisitions and assembling property and cold calling and letter writing and all that other stuff. That was kind of a really great way to, that was a good foundation for my real estate career, learning from those guys. And maybe on another podcast, we'll go into deeper detail about that experience. Um, real estate market crashes and I'm like in 2008 was it? Yeah. Seven, eight. seven, eight, nine, somewhere in there. So I am at this point I had been taught what I often use as real real estate, not real tour real estate. Mm-hmm. And that is, uh, understanding how to obtain the highest and best use for each piece of property. It doesn't matter what kind of property. If your goal is to get the highest and best use out of it, you will make the most amount of money out of mm-hmm. it. So that was what I was trained to do. And then when I had to go jump into selling houses because the market had crashed and the guys that I were with, they just clammed up and held tight and hunkered yeah. down to me. I'm like, I'm out of money. Right. I got to go find something that's moving. And so I'm like, what part of real estate is moving? And the houses were moving. Mm-hmm. So I jump into that game, but I'm trained and programmed to be an investor because right. that was what I was initially trained to do. I didn't understand how to get clients and become a real tour and And show them and show them houses and and all that other stuff. So my passion was never there. And, and, uh, um, and so basically what I did is I'll just, I'm leapfrogging here. Um, so I fell asleep at my buddy's house. I wake up, I go outside to, uh, um, to go home, jump in my car and Mm -hmm. I see this guy next door and he's taking a picture of my friend's neighbor's house. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what are you doing? Just <laughs> inquisitive. You know, what the heck? And he's like, this house is going to auction today. Um, he's like, I'm taking pictures for the investors. I'm like, what? Give me a card. So he gives me a card and then I, uh, kind of just pursue the rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. I go down to where the card was, which mm-hmm. was on fourth street, which was called Nevada legal news, which is where they would call the sales. And I'm like, I roll up and this is like a dream for me. I mean, this was so cool. The land business was great. You can make good money in it, but it just wasn't fast enough for me. And, uh, this thing was lightning fast. Well, yeah, it's an auction. It was probably (laughs) like every day a lot to take in. Yeah. Every day was an auction. Uh It was the coolest feeling ever. Every day was an adrenaline rush. 
um, and millions of dollars being spent mm -hmm. within three hours. It opened at 10, it'd be done at one, everybody went home. Yeah. And they'd drop like $10 million at the auction. Mm -hmm. It was so cool. So that's how I got into uh, the flipping game. Mm -hmm. um, so I said, I want to try to buy one of these. So the underlying um, tone of my entire career and, and any success that I've experienced, I think all stems from my ability to identify what I want and never, ever give up until I get it. Mm -hmm. So obviously we're in the middle of a recession. Who's got money? Who's right. willing to invest in housing? Every article you looked at, housing is going down. Housing is crashing. So if you found a guy that had big money, unless he was directly involved and understood the auction, mm -hmm. they would laugh at you. I remember trying to solicit my land investors going, Hey guys, let's get out of land and go buy some houses. Mm -hmm. And this was back when houses were selling for $73,000, $55,000, $20,000. And they laughed at me when it couldn't even get a call or an email back or anything. So I had to go figure out who I was going to get to put up the money. Which I, I feel like you should note that you had the experience of trying to find investors and partnering people into a deal. I feel like a normal person would go to the auction and be like, I don't have $120,000. So, and then they'd move on to something else. So I think that you were fortunate to have the commercial experience before where you knew that you could just piece it together with people in order to make it happen. That's right. Always know other people's money. OPM. Anything can be started. Every single human being lives in the shark tank. Everybody thinks it's such a blessing to go on the shark tank. And oh my gosh, I get to be in front of all these investors. If the idea is good enough, you can get money from anybody. Mm -hmm. That's what I was taught young is in my career is when I remember walking in and going, I, I don't where am I going to find $2 million to Ronaldo? And he was like, if the deal's good enough, there'll be a line outside waiting to give you money. Well, I don't understand that. He goes, if a guy walked in right now with a $300,000 Rolls Royce and said, I'll give this car to the first person that gives me $60,000, how quickly do you think you could raise that money? I was like, lightning fast. Mm -hmm. I'd get 10 from you, 10 from you, 10 from you, 10 from you, mm -hmm. 10 from you, 10 from you. I'd give him a 60, I'd get the car. He's like, then what would you go do with it? I'd go, I'd go put up for 120 and double my money and still be giving the next guy a deal. Yeah. He's like, do you see how that works? If the deal's good enough, the money will come. So I thought that was a little nugget I w was worth dropping. Yeah. Um, so now I got to figure out how to get money. Mm -hmm. So oh, never be afraid to go and ask people for money. People's, right. A lot of people make their living investing. Um, and, uh, so I went to, I had three, I knew two people in my life at that <laughs> point that, I mean, and I exhausted everybody. Yeah. My mom had, didn't, wasn't in a position to, uh, invest with me. Mm -hmm. Um, I even went to my aunt Cindy. Mm -hmm. I knew that Garrett had some money left over. <laughs> I, from yeah. when my cousin had some, uh, car accident money or for lack of better term, I'll just use that to summarize that. Um, and I tried to dip into that. Mm -hmm. I was like, let's use that money. I mean, I couldn't get money from anybody. Yeah. Okay. So I go to my buddy who grows weed mm -hmm. and I say, Hey, I know you have money. <laughs> <laughs> so I grab, I grab 25,000, no 60,000 from him. Mm -hmm. Um, I go to, no, I'm sorry. He was 25,000. And then I go, do you know anybody that's got money? He goes, well, this guy that is, a, his parents own a pretty big steel company here in town. Mm -hmm. um, kind of a trust fund kid. He might throw some money at you. So I'm like, how much do you think we can get? He's like, I don't know, 75, 80. So we get like 75 from him. 
the other guy put up 25 and then I put up 20. And what was your pitch to them? Like, what were you saying that they were going to get a return on it? Or like, what did you say? See, and I think that that's another lesson (laughs) (laughs) is, well, today I'm a much more honed uh, pitchman, if that's the right well, term. Well, and you're more educated and too. I'm more educated, yeah. But uh, so at the time, I only my one of my biggest skills that I depend on every day is my ability to persuade mm-hmm. and have create a belief in me. Yeah. Um, and so I really depended on that, you know, because I didn't understand that there had to be a return on investment. I didn't understand that. Um, I didn't understand any of the fundamentals of flipping. Like the more I like think about it, I didn't have a budget. I didn't know what I was going to sell it for. I barely knew how to comp a house. Right. But I knew we wouldn't lose money. Um, the houses were selling for so cheap at the auction. I knew I wouldn't lose any money, but so I just had faith in the system. If it goes back to the last podcast where I said, I just saw the end result and I just had faith that I could get there. Mm Mm-hmm. And then the universe just slowly kept putting things in front of me that allowed me to take advantage of how I got to the end result. Um, and so how did I get him to do it? I said, we're going to go buy some houses. We're going to buy it at the auction. It's going to be a lot cheaper than if we buy it on the MLS. Um, and we're going to just kind of wing it. Mm-hmm. And they kind of believed me. <laughs> they said, here's your money. So we put together, it was the greatest LLC ever. Um, one of the contingencies of using the the weed guy's money was if because he was also a real estate agent yeah is that he if somebody were to scroll past the llc he wanted to make sure that he would be contacted um for the llc okay so we named the llc his phone number (laughs) it was like seven of my i'll use my phone number so that it was like 702-300-8484 llc (laughs) <laughs> and actually, I think it's even better than that. I think it was call for oh or call C A L L seven zero two three hundred eight four eight four. It was a big ego play for him. Yeah, and I was like, if you want an ego play, I have the idea for you, and <laughs> and that was my idea. I said, you can have it, bro. Anyway, so we put together a partnership. We all put in our money, and we started digging around at the auction. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, you. <clears throat> Yeah, I did all that though. Yeah. Those guys were you did the leg yes, work. I'm sorry, I did everything. Those guys put up the money. Mm-hmm. I did everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, I go down to the auction. I'm kind of watching who's winning, who's bidding, and I went to a few people and said, "Hey," and it was a very nobody. They didn't want new guys down there, right? So I'd walk up to one guy and he'd either blatantly ignore me or or give me completely inaccurate information to try to throw me off. <laughs> And I could have been just so intimidated and scared, which it was a very intimidating, scaring place. You got to think like I'm as low mentally and financially I'd ever been in my whole life. Mm-hmm. And these guys are literally the highest they've probably ever been in their life because that housing game was really rich at that time. Mm-hmm. So these guys are very arrogant, protective of their baby, um, top dogs. Right. They okay. didn't want any more competition. No. And me, I'm like this yeah. little puppy running around looking for a snack. So I walk up to a few different guys. I get shunned from a few different guys. I get obviously blatantly wrong information from a few different guys. And then I finally see this one gentleman that is buying a ton of houses every day. I couldn't believe how many houses he was buying. So I walk up to him and say, um, you know, what, what's your deal? So he was just a buyer. So I learned about the buyer. Um, obviously, when you become 
uh, elite enough or uh, in a position where you don't need to actually drive down to the auction every day, you would yeah. hire a buyer to go and represent you. Right. So this guy created a company where he had like 10 or 15 investors. So he'd walk down there with five, $10 million a day and just plow through the homes. And so here's the craziest part is this guy would charge $4,500 per successful bid. That's like crazy. It's crazy. There's not even like now there's not even enough room for like no. that on most deals. No, the market has reset. Yeah. That. So to give everybody some perspective, that was because there was so much meat on the bone back then. You could literally buy a house for 70 grand and sell it for 150. Yeah. All day, all day. Um, what this, so there was enough room to absorb that fee today to give everybody some perspective. It's about 500 bucks to $800 to, to have a buyer represent you down there. Anyway, so I gladly paid this guy $4,500. We won the bid. Um, I drove this house. That was the extent. And I literally drove it. I don't even know mm -hmm. if I slowed down in front of it. <laughs> <laughs> I just drove it. I don't actually even remember driving it, to be totally honest really? with you. Actually, you know what? I didn't drive it. It's so programmed for me to say that that I had to say that. Because oh. I was like, there's no way I didn't. The service... We were just getting outbid all the time, and I was being very uh, restrictive with the money. I wanted to micromanage everything because mm -hmm. I was in a new territory. Well, yeah, it's nerve-wracking. Yeah, so I was like, no, 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 only go to this amount, only go to this amount. And I was just, I couldn't get anything. And I knew the guys were going to be getting itchy. You still have my money. You haven't bought anything. What's going on? So finally, I took a leap of faith and said, my man, don't put me in a bad deal. Yeah. Just go buy something. And so I get the call. We got you something. And it, when I, when it says we got you something, he has your money. Yeah. So that's it. Your it's gone. The it's bank spent. now has your money. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so you better hope that whatever this guy bought you is. There's no refunds. There's no refunds. <laughs> yeah. There's no way to second. You messed up. Like, no, I own that property. So whatever problem is in front of me is now my problem. Mm -hmm. That's another one of the great things about learning to flip in the auction days. Everybody today that's using the MLS or all of these other ways to purchase that, that allow a due diligence. It's created very soft flippers. Like people are like, they can just cancel. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, it looks like there's a crack in the foundation. We'll just cancel. Yeah. So they never have an opportunity to learn how to overcome that challenge. When you bought at the auction, that's how quick you own the house. Yeah. And every problem with it was yours. Right. There was no backing out. There right. was no, you had to, you had to, you had to plow through every single problem. So for me, it taught me everything. I don't know much that is out there that I haven't experienced as far as a house goes. Anyway, so... Um, I was going to say, it could have other problems. It could have an HOA lien. It could have, like, oh, the man. taxes yeah, could the, be back due. Yeah. The whole All, title game. Yeah. It, just I, paperwork stuff, not even just the bones of the house. <laughs> I will say that uh, to be, um, to add value to the listeners again, the auction is the most dangerous way to buy. Yeah. It's so dangerous that there was a time... When I eventually graduated to becoming a part of the boys club down there mm -hmm. and we were all buddies, we would let people walk up and buy second mortgages. <laughs> For those of you that don't know what that is, that's uh, basically somebody would walk up and they would call a second mortgage and nobody would bid. That was smart. And then the newbie would bid and he would walk away with a second mortgage, which I won't get into that because that could make me look really bad. Yeah. But... Don't piss on my leg. They, they'd do it my, to you. Yeah, they would do it to yeah. you. <laughs> so, 
And when did they give you? I think it's important to note when they gave when you found out which houses were going for auction that day because it's not like you had a week to prepare. No, you would get the list at, at seven a.m. day of day of, and then you had to make a decision by ten. Now you have to go and drive as many homes as possible because there's a good chance that if there's fifteen or twenty going, you're going to get outbid on eighteen of them. Yeah, there's a good chance you get outbid on all of them. Right. I didn't get a house every day, so I would have to go drive all of the houses, do all of the title work, get all of the lean information get the checks get the checks down to the auction and be ready to buy within three hours yeah like comp all that stuff when i say drive i mean physically (laughs) drive all over las Mm -hmm. vegas it was the coolest thing ever i'm going to skip i'm going to skip a gear here what was so fun to me and i wish somebody would have i would have had someone to video video this moment in my life i remember i would wake up i would type in the addresses on my phone Mm -hmm. i would throw on my motorcycle gloves, motorcycle jacket, my helmet, my auction chair, and I'd put a million dollars in cashier's checks in my backpack, <laughs> throw my headphones in, and I would drive all over the city. That was later. That was later. But yeah, yeah, yeah that yeah. was down the road. And then land at the auction at 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. I mean, at, at 22 or however old I was. I couldn't have been more than 20, 25. You're, yeah. I hated that motorcycle. Just yeah. No, no more motorcycles. But that's pretty cool. Yeah. Like what a dream for a twenty-five-year-old, mm-hmm. and what a what a big what a big say, the fact that somebody trusts me to drive around town right. with a million dollars in their cashier's checks. Babe, remember when I told you about Alicia and the work she wanted done around our house? Yeah, how did that go? Okay, well, I gave her Nick's number from Southwestern Custom Construction, and he seriously killed it. She had him add shiplap, floating shelves, and a reading nook by the fireplace in her living room. It looks amazing. Nick and his team are good at what they do. Tell the listeners what she liked about them. Yeah, like we've been saying. She said she got the estimate the day after they met. They got started on the project the following week, and he finished on time. She's already hired him for her next project. That's really awesome to hear. If you guys also want Nick to help you on your next project, check him out on Instagram or Facebook at The Real Nick Marietta. Or call him, 480-235-8148. Okay, so... We won the house. Um, Big lesson that I want everybody to take from this. There's no perfect way to flip, to learn to flip a property. There's so much information out on the internet Mm -hmm. that if the formula was so simple, everybody would just follow the internet. Right. But you could end up having what's called analysis paralysis. You analyze yourself into doing nothing. So just know if you lose 10... You're going to lose 10. Yeah. Maybe 20. You shouldn't lose more than 20. If you lose more than 20, you really (laughs) fucked that one up. So in saying that, I know that's a scary thought, but the lessons that you learn from failure are astronomical. Right. So the first lesson I want to start with for people listening that want to get into the business, just do it. Stop analyzing. Make the best decisions you can with the information that you've got and the resources that you have available to you and just do it. And there's no reward without the risk. So you have to take the risk in order to yeah, benefit from go. it. Yeah. And eventually you'll, you'll hone your skill and then it, it, that would reduce risk. Mm-hmm. So first thing is just jump right in. Um, okay. So now we own this house. Crystal mm-hmm. and I, I think we walk it together. Yeah. The first I was time. Like, oh. yeah. So I break in and uh, cause I own it. <laughs> right. Day of. 
and uh it's not like there's keys <laughs> the whole house is fully 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 furnished as if like a family of 10 lived there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I couldn't believe. Today I'd walk in and go, okay, everything's got to go. Throw yeah. it at it. But I remember walking into that house going, this is so, like, what happened? Yeah. Like, what happened here? How was this house, like, saran wrapped and frozen in time? Well, that was the visual I had at the front door. Then I continued to walk and I start seeing, like, stains of water all over the ground. And I get to the kitchen. I see a mop laying down and a bucket. And then, uh, I look at the kitchen island and I remember touching the kitchen island just with my finger because I didn't understand mold. Mm -hmm. It looked like mold, but I don't know if I understood it. And I don't know if I would have referred to it as mold, but I touched it and the weight of the tile countertop literally just, it collapsed. That's how much mold was in that kitchen. So I'm going to say what ended up happening was because I got information from all the neighbors, which I'm going to give you another lesson. Never talk to the neighbors. (laughs) I got to jump. I got to jump ship here. I'm going to come back to my story, but, um, this is a very valuable nugget. You are obligated as a seller to deliver material facts relating to your property. Material means would that person have made a different decision? Had they had that information that is called material knowledge Mm -hmm. or material facts. Would that person have made a different decision surrounding that purchase or property had they had the information that you did not disclose. Those are called material facts. Mm-hmm. So when so if you talk to the neighbors and you get all of the, this knowledge on the house and it's all like probably not good news, bad news, and then you news. go to sell it, you're supposed to disclose that. Yes. Because if they find out after the fact, they could sue you. Yep. So I'm going to give you an example. <laughs> okay. It's called 1516 Willow Bark. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> I was about $17,000 into a 40,000. This was a personal rule. I don't know any other flippers that actually live by this rule. So this is a Galindo rule. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, uh, this is public information. You could search this house in two seconds. And anyway, I was 17,000 into a $40,000 rehab. I'm all excited about the house. Boom, boom, boom. Banging it out. It's in a cul-de-sac. It's a single story, three car, pool, spa, great floor plan. Mm-hmm. Really happy with the house. Almost shocked at how good of a buy I got on the house. But really proud of it. Walking outside, living the good life. The neighbor comes outside. He goes, hey, dude. I'm like, yo, what up? All excited to see him. You want to see what we did? You know. He goes, do you know what happened at that house? I'm like, no. <laughs> I don't know. And he goes, well, let me tell you. And he says, the it had been sold two other times yes before, before it hit me and uh i'm going to go back to the original owner that then so the original owner catastrophic scenario took place yep and then they sold it mm-hmm. and then that person couldn't live with the way the house was so they sold it because they found out what happened they found out what happened and then i bought it from that guy yeah okay so the gentleman that owned the house ends up killing his uh, Vietnamese, mm-hmm. Vietnamese, yeah. it was yep. wife, and obviously didn't want anybody to know about it. So he put her in a freezer, and he would go to the to Vietnam eight, nine, ten months out of the year, mm-hmm. come back only to make sure the power was still on and that the body was still frozen, <laughs> and uh, did that for about three years. They believe that he tried to move the body. And something happened. I know for me, I'd probably right. freak out too. Yeah. <laughs> if I tried to move a frozen body. Yeah. And uh, 
so he panics, calls uh, the police, mm-hmm. says, I am going to um, eliminate my life. Did he call or did he write a letter? He called. He oh, said, okay. and do a wellness check. I'm going to take my life mm-hmm. in the master shower. And my wife is and my the, wife is frozen in the garage. In the garage, um, you can do a wellness check in the next thirty minutes. Cops roll up. Sure enough, the lady's frozen. He's been he's toast in the shower. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at this neighbor going, "Bro, <laughs> <laughs> why did you tell? Why me did that? you tell me all this? This is so bad." I almost, so literally, my rule moving forward: if the neighbor wants to come out and spill all the bad beans about the house. I just choose not to listen. Have a good day. I'm yeah. out. See ya. Literally, that's how I roll. I don't, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Because they're always excited to tell you how bad the house right. was or how bad the people were in it. Okay, so I came to learn something here. It's a very valuable bit of information. <laughs> Believe it or not, you don't have to disclose that. Sounds right. crazy, right? Like, how do you not have to disclose all that? Unless the house itself killed the person. Yeah, caused the death. Caused the death. You don't have to disclose it. And what does that mean? Let's just say we're sitting right here and a beam falls down and hits me in the head and kills me. Yeah, that would have to be disclosed. That would have to be disclosed. Yeah. So I felt too morally conflicted to not disclose <laughs> this. Because <laughs> what I was envisioning was, and this is the, this is the other thing, is you, gotta do, you always got to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Just do the right thing to the best of your ability. Right. Just, be, just because. It's, it's too much headache and work to not do the right thing. So I'm envisioning me moving into that home with my kids and my kids sleeping in that room and going out into the cul-de-sac and playing with the other kids. And then the other kids go, hey, do you know what happened in your bedroom or do you know what happened in your house? And they got to, you know, and then being told that like those kids would be petrified and that poor family would be just wrecked. They'd have to end up selling the house too. Right. So that was my moral conflict. So what I ended up doing is I, I disclosed it to every single person very lightly. Yeah. You didn't give all those details. Like, You're like, yeah, I didn't give all the died. details. Yeah. But the worst part was <laughs> if you type that address in, it Google would the finish yeah. the address with murder, suicide. So oh you God. couldn't hide it. Anyway, we went through three buyers and, uh. We ended up, what was funny is you're just spoiled here in Las Vegas. But if you like go to the back East, people are like, somebody died in the house. You're like, yeah. They're like, okay, I'll take it. Yeah. People die in houses all the time. They die in houses all the time. There there are 150 year old houses out there. How many people do you think died in a 150 year old house? Right. A lot. In Vegas, it's like the house is like 16 years old and someone (laughs) died once and they're like, we're not moving in that. (laughs) Anyway. All right. So good, good tip there. Never talk to the neighbors. So the neighbors at Pacific Terrace were telling you what happened there. Oh, right? yeah. That's so they were telling the me. Yeah. This was before I learned that, but that was why I got stuck on that. So thank you. Yes. So basically that was a vacation home. Mm-hmm. The uh, owners of it walked inside, saw that the whole house had flooded. When they weren't there. When they weren't there. They came into town to enjoy uh-huh. their vacation home. Um, walked inside, saw that the whole house had flooded, that there was mold everywhere. Literally closed the door, relocked it, went home and never came back. <laughs> stop making the payment stop making the payment yeah. and that was it i mean do you remember the garage oh my gosh like yeah. there was like a van in the garage there was stuff in the garage yeah. it was crazy all right i know I'm, I'm getting off topic here but i hope that that was all of value so here's the thing that i want you guys to take away from um your first flip is jump right in mm-hmm. no fear if an excuse pops in your mind that makes you want to choose to answer no or to give up, that is called fear. 
Mm-hmm. You immediately eliminate that thought process and you jump back into a space of how do I just keep doing and going and moving forward? Second thing is, is, uh, don't talk to the neighbors. Yeah. <laughs> just don't. Um, and then what I want, I think it's important. To, I, I actually watch a lot of my competition today who has absolutely no clue about construction. It's kind mm-hmm. of comical. There is a business. You can build a business around not having to know construction, but it makes you a better flipper learning construction. Right. So I can tell you that for me, I was so hyper-focused on making sure that we made money. One, I was an investor. Two, I had investors in it. So I want to make sure I delivered a return. And then three, I wanted to learn the game. Right. So I always said if a blind monkey could do it, I would do it. Mm-hmm. And that means demo. I demoed tile. I laid grass. I uh, did land. I did landscaping, irrigation. Um, I think. Out I a, think it's important to do all that stuff on your own first, because then once you get busier, you know, like how much it takes and how much you would be willing to pay somebody else to do it. Because if you just don't do it yourself, you could totally overpay for yeah. a trade that because you just don't know how much actually goes into it or how little goes into it. Yeah. Yeah, and you can look at that both ways, too. You can overpay, mm-hmm. but then you could underpay. And there's a there's a fault to underpaying. People think, I just got a smoking deal. Well, what you really did is you you got a great deal from a guy that will never work with you again. Right. So you underpaid that guy. Mm-hmm. And now you got to go through all the time, energy, and effort to find another guy yeah. that's capable of doing that trade because you grind him down so low. That he it, doesn't want to work with you He doesn't want to work with you anymore. And then you can build a reputation around that. I know a few guys in town that nobody wants to work with them because they're so harsh. Mm-hmm. And in their mind, they're like, I'm just being a savvy investor. Well, what you're really doing is destroying your reputation and making it very difficult for you to conduct business because nobody wants to touch you with a 10-foot pole. So you can underpay too. And it should be a win-win. It shouldn't be No. And you, you will winning. appreciate what that person is doing. Because construction is physically demanding and very difficult. Mm-hmm. So I would always encourage the first or be very, very involved. If you just maybe, you know, maybe it's someone that doesn't want to get in there. You know? Like me. Yeah, like you. Like, let's say that, uh, you know, you're just not built to go demo tile. Mm-mm. That's fine. But be there. Yeah. You know, or at the very least, maybe grab a shovel right. and help scoop up the demo tile. Um just be there. Watch it all happen. Learn how you have to cut drywall. Mm-hmm. Why it makes sense to cut it in four feet widths because they come in four feet. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to cut it twice. Mm-hmm. Um, make sure that you are buying material. That's a really powerful one. It educates you on all of your bids. Mm-hmm. Like, it, like if I were to say, okay, what is it going to cost to... I can, I, can, I can calculate any type of construction in my mind that's that's reasonable i'm not like yeah. an engineer understanding it's an framing and, and stuff like yeah. that but it's because I, I bought material for a very big part of my career and then before that i managed the labor individually for a big part of my career so now i know how to make sure not to get screwed mm-hmm. so um do a lot of the work yourself yeah <laughs> <laughs> Okay. It sounds simple. It sounds simple, <laughs> but be involved and do a lot of the work yourself. The, and then time is everything. Time is everything. I love meeting the guy in the restaurant. Oh, what do you do for the, well, I, I flip homes. Oh my gosh, I do too. And I'm like, fantastic. And in my mind, I'm like, this guy flipped one house. Mm-hmm. He bought it in January of 2018 and he sold it in December of 2018. Mm-hmm. The market went up 18%. 
and he thinks he flipped a house and was successful. No. That's called market appreciation. Yeah. Market appreciation is unpredictable and it is not a skill. The skill comes from being able to purchase property below market. And if you have market appreciation, that is an added bonus, but it's unpredictable. You can't build a business on market appreciation. No, you can, but you could also lose everything based off of it. Our, the fundamentals of flipping isn't buy a home, hope the market goes up. No, there's too much risk there. There's too much risk there. Anything you're depending on something that's completely out of your control. Yeah. Like out of everybody's control. Yeah. So, um, so you make all of your money on the buy. Mm -hmm. You make all of your money on the buy. Okay. So the other thing too is what I'm describing, this is like 20% of the experience. I don't want to say it's like five. I know. I was going to say even less. I just didn't want to go into 95. I could be here all day. Um, you could do that a different day. Though, so yeah, really. I mean, cause the, now, okay. So now you got to figure out the demo, the construction. Yeah. Now you got to rebuild this house and you need to rebuild it to the liking of the masses. I think it's comical when I walk into some of these, uh, some of my competitors flips and you could tell they built the house to mimic their exact taste mm -hmm. and their exact house. And what they forget is that they're either 45, mm -hmm. let's just use an ext extremes here, 55 or they're 25. Mm-hmm. Or whatever. Yeah. My point is, is that they're two extremes of the demographics and they're building homes to suit their taste. It's like, dude, but your buyer pool may not be all 55 year old men. Right. Or women. And then if you're a younger flipper, they may not all want. How many younger people are out right. there buying? Yeah, out yeah. there buying. So you got to make sure you're building the home to make it so that the masses will appreciate it and enjoy it and become emotionally attached to it and want to purchase it. And then making sure... Nothing too specific. Nothing too specific. The Pinterest flip is not the way to go. Mm -hmm. it, all of it needs to flow. Um, it needs to flow and connect. Mm -hmm. You know, it's very easy to go on Pinterest and go, I want to build that bathroom. Well, then you build that bathroom, but then they walk into the master bedroom that's attached to that bathroom and go, wait, that this just doesn't feel like it flows. Yeah. Like modern, I got a basic Las Vegas house yeah. with carpet and drywall. And then I walk in, I got this outrageous, ridiculous house that probably belongs in like the cosmopolitan. Yeah. Um, yeah. You don't want to spook people. You can over improve a home with like too cool of features. Mm -hmm. You have to remember that this has to like be comforting to a person's psyche. It's like, yeah, I'd love a Lamborghini, but do I want it every day? No, I would rather drive like a truck. Mm-hmm. So you have to remember that, that people are going to be making a decision to buy this home, to live in it every day. Mm -hmm. So just build it, be tame. Don't get mm -hmm. too excited with your design. Okay. And then don't give up because there's going to be 50 opportunities where you can choose to give up. Yeah. Okay. The appraisal could come in low. So I'm going to keep going on this house. So we finished the rehab. Every single thing that could have gone wrong went wrong on this house. I had to replaster the pool. I had to replace the pool equipment. I had to fix the pool deck because the neighbor's tree was making it bow. The covered patio had to be completely replaced. The, the roof had to be replaced. Mm -hmm. Um, all of everything big that could have gone yeah. wrong on this house went wrong. AC roof windows, water heater, the whole nine. Mm -hmm. So I know that there's a lot of opportunities that will present themselves to mm -hmm. say, I want to give up. Mm -hmm. Okay. So don't give up. And I'm going to give you a big example of mine. So I had blood, sweat, and tears invested into this little flip of mine. It was my baby. You mm -hmm. know, personally, yeah. watching me. I remember I was there super late every night. I mean, night. that, and we even had a garage sale to sell items that were, like, worth something. And what did you make? We made, like, $300. Yeah. And, and I'm, it, like, delivering 
fucking right. old mattresses and shit. But it could have, I mean, it could have made a difference. And then you learned like, okay, that's probably not going to make that much of a difference. But you had to at least try it to Absolutely. see. Absolutely. Yeah. Don't be that guy. Pinch every penny. And mm-hmm. then after you've pinched every penny, look back and go, was all of that worth it? If it was worth it, then you're doing the right, right. thing. You, If it's not, you might go, you know what? I probably could have paid somebody to do that and made more money. Mm-hmm. Um, my thing was I didn't have any more money to go buy another flip. Right. Actually, I always forget to talk about that today. We've virtually, I have access to as much money as I need to, to Mm -hmm. conduct my business. Um, but when I had no money, you was like, who the hell are you to go hire that out and tell yourself that you are worth more per hour because you could do something more superior at that moment than wheelbarrowing out garbage right which you didn't even have anything else to do that's, I had nothing else that's to all do. you had to do that's all i had <laughs> so i was like i'm gonna do everything in here that i can that's free mm-hmm. anyway so um all right so house is finished put it on the market all excited mm-hmm. pools filled all seven of the photos that i took with an iphone or oh a digital God. camera yeah. it was so funny if you went back and looked at this house you guys would be like that's not galindo's house <laughs> um so, uh, we list it, we get an offer. I, we're looking like we're going to make like, I think it was, uh, let's call it 30 grand. Uh-huh. Okay. I'm all excited. We did our first successful flip. We're going to make mm-hmm. $30,000. I think I was selling it for one seventy five, If I remember, actually, I know I remember mm-hmm. it was one seventy five. Um, it appraises for one fifty. Oh my god! All your profit, a hundred percent. Literally, it's almost as if the appraiser did the math and was like, "What is this guy making?" Yeah, let's come in exactly yeah, at that. Right. Like it was like exactly zero. Uh-huh. I didn't lose any money to make any money. And I remember going like, at this point, we're so far down this road. Yeah, I didn't know what to do. I was exhausted physically and mentally, and a lot of pressure from the people that I had brought into this. And I remember we had a little balcony meeting at. Mm-hmm. Uh, our old uh, Chepstow sitting in my mom's old used patio furniture. And I go, uh, what do we do here, guys? We can order another appraisal, which for those of you that don't understand that, that used to be a possibility back in the day. It is not today. We could order another appraisal, but we have to pay for it. It's $450. Or we just accept the price that this current appraiser determined and we cut our losses and move on. That's fear. Or you put it on the market and who knows if somebody else is going to come buy it. So we didn't actually you, entertain that. Option. Oh, you didn't? No, but I, I see it just shows how oh. small my mind. I, I just, I didn't even think <laughs> I about thought you that. just immediately took it off the table. I, I want to, actually, I want to set my mindset. I want to set the, I want everybody to understand where my mind was. I was that fear kicked in at that moment. Mm-hmm. It was, I made a bad decision. Somebody more superior than me told me that the house is worth less than I thought it was. Um, so all of the doubt was kicking in. So for me, it was more about preservation at this point. Like just get your money that you put in. Just get out. Back. Yeah. Yeah. Let's not lose anything. All the, okay. So the funny thing was, is this whole decision was over $450 Mm -hmm. divided by each person's percentage. So like I only put in 20 grand. So I think I own like 5% of the deal. So (laughs) I was like 5% of $400. I was like heavily debating the, 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 the decision. Long story short, we chose to order another appraisal and we paid the difference. We paid the cost of the appraisal. It comes in at 175, exactly where it should have been, because mm-hmm. I knew that we valued mm-hmm. it right. And we take down twenty five, thirty thousand dollars yeah. in uh, in profit. And I remember the first thing that I did was because I was a little bit bent on the partners that I had brought in. Mm-hmm. 
And, and it was probably an expectation problem. I expected too much from them. They expected me to do more. Um, and there was no agreement in between that set yeah. the terms. So I learned a lot. I should have communicated or asked or set the expectations up front. So with whatever your partner is, make sure that you set the expectations up front and have an agreement outlining those expectations. And their roles. And their roles. Even if it's just a one-liner or a one-pager. Mm-hmm. Not, and, and you could easily draft it. Yeah. doesn't have to be an attorney-drafted agreement. Um, so after that. it's more that, about each other understanding and then no resentment or any yeah. problems later. It's not necessarily legal. It's just. So because I remember wanting to take a management fee that I had not communicated up front. So looking back, I feel like that the, their position probably was actually justified. But I remember saying, I want to take a management fee. And I remember, at, and I'm like, you did everything yourself. Like, right. they're going to totally understand that. Right. And didn't, and didn't <laughs> charge one penny. So I, I, I injected all this sweat equity that's mm-hmm. free into the, into the deal that they would benefit from. And when the numbers came out, it was a good deal. So I was like, hey, um, I think I should take advantage of fee. And I got a lot of kickback for that. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Today, that won't, that won't happen. So I uh, got rid of those guys. And I had enough money to go buy my own, mm-hmm. my second flip, all by myself. Mm-hmm. And we'll go into that another time. Yeah. <laughs> but that was the story but, of my very first flip. And I, I mean, I think there's a lot of like exciting, fun things that we could have touched on, but it would have been a lot of detail. But what's like the three things that you think they should take away from it? Is doesn't necessarily have to be specific to that house, but like what you learned in that first the most valuable snippet thing is, of your career is, well, I really, I'm just a big mindset guy. The mechanics are so simple. Mm-hmm. Just dive right in, take the plunge. Whatever happened is going to happen. Use the resources that you've got to make the best decision possible each time, mm-hmm. but just do it. Sitting in fear and not doing it is going it, to, it, 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 that ain't good. Okay. No, you're going to make some mistakes, make the mistakes, learn from them. Um, drive the home before and make sure that you get into it um, and really check out the property. Make sure you know what the buy price is in comparison to what you're going to sell it for because you make all of your money on the buy. Mm-hmm. Never over-improve a property. If homes are selling for 230 just because your home is renovated doesn't make it worth 250 It's worth 230 mm-hmm. whatever the market will pay for a house in that location. So determine your sales price and work backwards. And that's what you can pay for it. Um, No fear. Jump right in. Do the work yourself. Never give up because there's going to be a lot of opportunity to give up. And force value. Force value means that you're adding value. It's forced. Mm -hmm. doesn't just happen. So um, I guess that's kind of, that's all I got. And good luck. Keep your fingers crossed. <laughs> and if it's a total failure, look back and acknowledge the failure as, holy shit, that was awesome. I lost money, but I learned extremely valuable lessons that hopefully will change my flipping career forever moving forward. Yeah. I would say that if they, if you can, to remove the emotion so there's no... Dis, so you don't feel as discouraged if something happened. You You just figure out the problem instead of being emotional that... Yeah, you have this problem. I don't know if that's like helpful, but no, I think it is helpful. I think my pause was emotion is 
such a driver. Mm-hmm. And so when you eliminate emotion, a lot of things don't bother you because you've eliminated emotion. Right. For I don't I don't know. I guess we're yeah. for me, I would say be highly emotionally charged because I take making money very personally. And when I lose money, I take it very personally. I don't take losing money easily. Mm-hmm. But I think for other people, I think it, it, it can be very valuable to be yeah. non-emotional about it. So I'm going to leave that one up to whoever, <laughs> whoever it works, however it works for the person listening. I'm going to ask you, what would you say the top three things are from our first flip that you learned? I mean, I would say drive it first if that's possible. I think it's really important to see it first because you have no idea what you could be walking into. But um, I would agree to do what you can yourself so that you can just, if that's what you're planning on getting into on a bigger scale, you need to have a better understanding by doing it yourself. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I, I would say like, I think that even though the garage sale didn't make much, I think it was important because it, you know, it did contribute and later it was like, okay, it's not worth it. But could you imagine if you sold it for, you broke even, you would have been like, I wish I would have had that garage sale to make 300 bucks at least, you know? Yeah. And I would say that it does. It, <clears throat> I, I want at the time it did make sense. Mm-hmm. And I think for anybody starting out, they don't have a $10 million line. No. They probably got 200 grand. Right. So and yeah, get your ass in there. And pinch every penny. Right. Because that's how and you get started. And all it's going to do is build your, you know, pot so that you could do it yeah. again yeah. and again and yeah. again. Yeah. Build your bankroll. Yeah. All right, baby. I love you. I love you too. Hey, guys. It's time to acknowledge our podcast sponsor, Battleborn Injury Lawyers. I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. These are the guys you want to have by your side if you ever experience a personal injury case and need legal support. They are local, which I love, and their partners will personally go to work for you. Check them out at battlebornindurylawyers.com. All right, guys, that's going to do it for today. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate, subscribe, and share our podcast. You can also connect with us on social media or at galindogrouprealestate.com. Until next time, thanks again for listening. 